Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. How many of you know that when you were little and you went to Burger King, you used to love getting the Burger King crown? This isn't a Burger King crown. This is actually a cooler crown than a Burger King crown. How many of you love wearing those crowns? All right. Some of you are being honest. Some of you are like, yo, I'm not going to put it on my hand. You know you, st- you know you still have that crown at home. You love that crown. So this crown right here, at the end, at the end of my teaching, someone is going to wear this crown and be a king, okay? Or a queen. You never know. It might be a queen but, or a king. So just by the fact I'm having this crown, who knows what we're going to be talking about today? First and second kings, many of you might know, some of you might not if you're visiting for the first time. We're going through the entire Bible in the year 2022. The theme is anchored. We want to be anchored in the Lord. And the way that we do that is by knowing God's word and growing deeper in it. So we've been going through every book, every single week. So right now, today, we're going to highlight first and second kings. So back then, there used to, it used to just be one book in our Bibles. It's divided into two. But because of the scroll length, it was too long. They've decided, of course, to divide it into two so that we would be able to have it that way. But it was always one book before. So I'm going to give you some quick facts to highlight about the book of Kings. There's going to be an image behind me here. The type of book, it's a history book. The amount of chapters, First Kings has 22 chapters. Second Kings has 25. So 22 plus 25 is? Yo, you didn't know it was going to be a math quiz today. I'm going to test you in the end of the, um, the service too. Uh, I'm going to test you. So 22 plus 25 is 47. Now we're going to try to cover as much as we can of First and Second Kings. Now, mind you, it's impossible to cover everything, every story, every situation. But by the end of today, you should have a good grasp of what the book of Kings is about. Okay, the book of Kings. The date written was 550 BC. The period it covered was 975 to 575 BC. What's the length of time there? Another math there. 975 to 575. 400 years. So the book of Kings covers 400 years. Um, and the author is believed to be the prophet Jeremiah. It's not 100%, but they believe the prophet Jeremiah is the author. Now, before I share to you the key verse, remember the Israelites, they wanted uh, to be just like, oh man, this king, this king, this king is breaking, this uh, crown broke apart right there, right there. 
You can tell it's like a Burger King crown, kind of. So they wanted a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. So who was the first king? Saul, who came after Saul? And who came after David? Now, something that we're not going to go into, but after David, when he was older and weak, and he, of course, he was about to die, there was a plot to try to rob the throne so that it won't be Solomon. But Solomon ended up being the king. Now, Solomon was David's son, and who was his mama? Bathsheba. All right, Bathsheba was his mama. So key verse here is 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. It says this. It's going to be behind me. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So what ended up happening with Solomon, and we'll go into this in a little bit, a little bit later, his heart drifted away from God, and he started worshiping other gods and running after other things, and he pretty much diluted his love for God and his devotion to God. There's a slide that's going to be behind me now. It says this, nothing or no one should turn your heart away from God. Nothing or no one, nothing or no person, children, wife, husband, family, anything, nothing or no one should ever turn your heart away from God. Protect your heart and your relationship with him. That is your responsibility. No one else could do that. And you know what? A lot of times people are so quick to blame others why their relationship with God it's not where it's supposed to be. You know, you're, or a lot of times we're so quick to blame the church or blame circumstances or life or problems or God or family or career or issues or troubles. We're quick to blame everyone. Let me tell you, it's your responsibility to protect your heart and your relationship with God. Don't allow yourself to turn away like Solomon did. I'm going to give you the book divisions. It's going to be behind me as well for the book, a book of Kings. Now, remember, this is seeing it as one big book, okay? Chapters 1 to 11 talks about Solomon's reign and the temple being built. Chapters 9 through 11 within there, it talks about Solomon's downfall, how he pretty much drifted away from God at a rapid speed. Um, pace. Chapters 12 to 16 talks about the kingdom being divided. Chapters 17 from 1 Kings all the way to 2 Kings chapter 8, it talks about the kings and the prophets. Some of you were looking at that 17-8. Yo, Carlos, hiciste un error ahí. ¿Qué está pasando ahí? You know, that's from 1 Kings to 2 chapter 8. And then chapters 9 to 25 is the road to exile, the road to exile. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time in each one just to break it down a little bit. So we're going to go on the first one, Solomon's reign and the temple being built. Solomon was king for 40 years. 40 years he was king. 
He, one of the biggest accomplishments he did, of course, was building the temple, and he built it in seven and a half years. Now, this um, temple was two times bigger than another place that they used to go into. It's called the tabernacle. So it's pretty much twice as big. So the tabernacle used to be 15 feet wide and 45 feet deep. So now the temple, 15 times 2 is 30, and 45 deep times 2 is? You, you thought that you left school a long time ago. Yeah, this is math class all over again. So that's 90. So just to give you an idea of the size of the temple, the big difference is the tabernacle was 15 feet high, and here the temple was three times higher. So 15 times 3. 45, the height. Something that's crazy too is the amount of money that was spent to make the temple was millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, pretty much. Just everything that went into the temple. It was very, pretty much gorgeous, uh, like everything that was done. Something too is something that's special too is the fact that after the temple was created, they prayed, they dedicated to the Lord, and God's presence came to the temple just the same way it happened with the tabernacle with that. Something that happened with Solomon that it was very interesting near the beginning is this. It says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. So right here you see that in the middle of the night in the dream, God shows up. I know last night you, some of you, some of you don't fall asleep on me. Because I know you'd be like, man, they robbed me an hour of sleep last night. So I know you're a little, you know, don't get me wrong. I went, I, you know what happened to me? I know this is mad tangent. It has nothing to do with the message. Last night I was so concerned about going to sleep early because I know I was losing a sleep, uh, losing an hour that I couldn't fall asleep. Like, you know, I'd just be like, man, I got to go sleep, but I'm awake because I'm thinking about how I have to go to sleep. So anyone? Was I the only one that? Okay, a couple of you guys. So I was so concerned about that. Uh, I, I think I ended up going to sleep at 2 in the morning, and uh, I lost an hour, so it was 3. So for some reason, if I end up taking a nap here in the middle of my teaching, wake me up so I can continue teaching right afterwards, okay? Don't leave me sleeping, okay? So imagine if last night, last night, the, o- the, the only thing that happened wasn't the change of time of springing forward the clock, but God showed up to your room. In the middle of the night, you have a dream and God shows up and he looks at you and asks you, like, what do you want? You could ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. How would you have responded to God if that would have happened to you last night? What would you have said? What would be a priority to you even at this moment? And if I would tell you that God would do it the same way he promised Solomon, what would you have asked? That's what happened to Solomon in Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. It says this. This is what Solomon said. Now, Lord my God, 
you made me, uh, you made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Mind you, he's king. He's like, I'm only a little child. I don't know how to do what I have to do. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? It's amazing what he asked him for a discerning heart to be able to see what's right and wrong. I don't know about you, but that's something I need every single day of my life, a discerning heart to know what's right and wrong, because this world has an amazing way to blur what's right and what's wrong. A lot of stuff is in the gray zone, in the gray scale, trying to blur what's right and what's wrong. And here Solomon is like, to govern, I want to be able to discern what's right and wrong. So many times right now in our lives, we're making wrong decisions thinking that they're right. We've convinced ourselves that our actions are right when they're contrary to the word of God, but we've convinced ourselves that it's okay. So many times we get confused in that, but here he's asking for that and God gives them that. And even if you read, he gives them even more than that. We know that he wrote three books in the Bible and we'll eventually get to them. Does anyone want to guess the books he wrote? Proverbs, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So right there, he wrote those three books. And it also says in the scripture that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. 3,000 Proverbs. And he also wrote 1,005 songs. I love how it says, and five. Like, you know what I mean? Like a thousand five songs. Like, uh, it's not a thousand, a thousand and five. Be happy I didn't write any songs because if I start writing songs and singing to you, there will be major problems. So uh, Pastor Harold said amen there. So, so Solomon started right, okay? So that's the beginning chapters, uh, you could say one through eight, but then chapters nine through 11 is the downfall. Solomon went downhill, and it says this. Remember the key verse I read before? It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we're not going to go there. It's not going to be behind you. But I'm just going to highlight a couple things that in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that kings should be careful of and not have. It says this, the king must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. It says this in Deuteronomy. We know Solomon had thousands. He must not take many wives, it says in Deuteronomy. Solomon was a player. From the Himalayas. You know, my boy, not from Israel, from the Himalayas. So, you know, my boy was a player. How many wives has Solomon had? 
he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is like a wife, but like kind of like a step lower. I feel bad for the, you know, like, I'm, I'm second place. You know, like the 300 are like second place and all the, his 700. And think about it. It's a thousand combined. Okay. A thousand. You know how many suegras he had? You know, you know how many mother-in-laws? That's why he drifted away from the Lord, too. You know what I mean? Like, that's too many mother-in-law. <laughs> just joking. Just kidding. Just kidding. I love all suegras, even my, my wife's suegra. So, I mean, my suegra, my wife's mom. So, so right there, that's a lot of suegras. Oh, thousand wives. Some of us, like, you know, like, we, we know the drama that happens with one wife or one husband. Imagine a thousand. So, right there, there's issues there. And then something else, it says, in Deuteronomy that the king shouldn't accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. So, so right here, you see that Solomon had these things, and literally it highlights in Deuteronomy a list of things that kings shouldn't do or have, and Solomon did every single one of them. It says this in 1 Kings uh, chapter 10, verse 14, The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Each talent was 75 pounds. In total, it's calculated 25 tons of gold, about over a billion dollars he would have a year. There's only one other place you would ever see 666 in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And it's interesting how Solomon, the amount of money that he had throughout the year was 666, almost highlighting that the enemy drifted him away from where he was supposed to be. He had a divided heart, and a divided heart translates to a divided nation. There's going to be a slide behind me that says this. When your heart is divided, it will divide everything that God has entrusted you with. When your heart is divided, everything that's under you will become divided. So here you see, here King Solomon, his heart is divided. And everything under him that God entrusted in him becomes divided. If your heart is divided between following God and following the world or following what you want, your family will be divided. Your children will be divided. Ministry could be divided. A church could be divided. Friends and family could be divided. Pretty much work could be divided. And it all starts with a heart that's divided. It's crazy what happens in our hearts. It all st- and when you think about it, it all started in Solomon's heart. And as we continue to proceed talking about the book of Kings, if he would have kept his heart honoring God, loving God, putting him in the very center, not letting his heart being divided and serving him and leading that way, we wouldn't see these consequences play out. Now we're going to go to chapters 12 to 16. The kingdom gets 
divided. So here we see, it's going to be a picture behind me. Let me make sure it's right, right there. Divided kingdom. It happened in 930 B.C. 930 B.C. It got divided between two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And right there, you'll see the northern kingdom is called Israel. Now, I just want to pause real quick. Uh, I was testing you. I'm going to pause real quick. Here's where sometimes people get confused. Because when you think of Israel, you think of the entire kingdom. But here in this time period, when you think of Israel, you're thinking about the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had 10 tribes, and the capital was in? I have the cheat code right there. Right there. Northern kingdom, Samaria. Cheat code right behind me. I'm trying to make it easy for you guys right there, cheat code. So, um, Samaria. The southern kingdom, it's called Judah. And it's only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And the capital is Jerusalem. So here, there's a divided kingdom that really was birthed out of a divided heart previously. So we might be asking ourselves, why did this happen? How did this happen? Of course, I said it started with Solomon divided heart and the way he was leading, leading his family throughout. Like we could, you could read more of the details, but I'm going to let you know that it ha- you could read it in 1 Kings chapter 12. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon ends up dying. Okay. So Solomon ends up dying. He reigned for 40 years and he dies. Now everybody goes to Rehoboam because he is marked to replace him. He is his son. So right now, it's like all of a sudden, one of his sons is going to replace the kingdom. And everyone in Israel wants him to um, be the one. So pretty much, they're all coming to him and be the one. Now, something I forgot to mention about Solomon, about his reign. One of the reasons he had so much is because he was like a slave driver. He was very oppressive on the people. He was very oppressive on the people, demanding so, for so much, demanding for everyone to even do beyond what is needed, you could say, because he had, you could say, certain goals in mind. So now that he died, guess what the people want? The people is hoping that his son won't be like his dad, won't be as strong and oppressive like his dad. So it says this, they say this to to him. It says, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. So, so pretty much all, all we know is that all we know is that all of a sudden it's like they wanted they wanted not to have this oppressiveness over them. So what ends up happening when he gets approached with the request of the people, he looks for counsel. He looks for counsel. He goes to two groups of people. He goes to the elders. And he goes to the young people that he grew up with. Pretty much the elders gave him wise wisdom saying, hey, 
be careful with the way that you answer them because if you answer them correctly and pretty much you lead them in the right way, they will continue to follow you. But then the younger crowd told them, it's like, no, 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 be worse than your dad was. Be worse than Solomon was. And guess what he ended up deciding to do? Did he go with the younger or with the wisdom of the older? He went with the younger. And before I even um, read something else, I want to read this point. It says this. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is listening to friends instead of the wisdom from trusted elders. One of the biggest mistakes. Last week, uh, we met with the young adults group, and I, something I mentioned to the young adults, I said one of the biggest mistakes you could be as a young adult is making your decisions based on the wisdom of all the young adults that you're around. That's foolishness. The greatest decision you could make is talk to those that walk the journey longer than you, that you know that love you and care about you and fear God, asking them for wisdom in your decision-making. Because your friends in your own age group, they haven't walked further than you. And what they've experienced, you, they might think they've experienced a lot at 18, 20, 25. And don't get me wrong, that's a long time, but it's a big difference from 50, a big difference from 75. Sometimes even myself, I come across certain pastors that have been pastors for 50 years, 50 years. And you know what? Whenever I meet them, one of the first things I say is like, what wisdom could you give me? What could you share with me? Out of all those years of experience being a pastor, what is it that you could share with me to give me wisdom to lead? Because I want to, he's traveled this road twice longer than I have. Why wouldn't I want to listen to them? Why would I ask people that haven't traveled this road? So right how it says there, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is listening to friends instead of the wisdom from trusted elders. And let me tell you, your friends will tell you what you want to hear. And even those friends that you think are 100% honest with you, they're not 100% honest with you, your friends. So they're like in a sense, they might be holding out a 10%. I want to hear the 10%. I don't want to hear the 90% that is shared What's the 10% that needs to be shared that a lot of times people don't share? So here in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 14, it says this. Here, uh, the king um, says, uh, Solomon's son, he says, it says this. He followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So right there when he, they heard this, and something else, there's another verse. It's not going to be behind me. It says uh, this. Uh, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. That's what Rehoboam said about Solomon. My little finger is thicker than his waist. Prima saying, yo, my little finger could beat you up. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden you're in big, big trouble. 
So guess what happened after they realized that Solomon, after he died, Rehoboam became king, and then how he didn't respond the way the people wanted, and they found out that he said he's going to be worse than Solomon. Guess what ended up happening? A rebellion. All of a sudden, the division occurred. Jeroboam and 10 tribes pretty much broke off and became the north of the kingdom Israel. And something that Jeroboam did, now this is not Rehoboam, who's Solomon's son. This is someone else that rebelled with the group and divided, went with the 10 tribes. He ended up creating two places of worship in the northern kingdom. Because, of course, the temples in Jerusalem. He creates two pretty much areas of worship. And you know what he uses for worship? A golden calf in each one. Does that sound familiar? When Moses came down and Aaron and pretty much everyone put a golden calf together to be worshipped. Here, all of a sudden, right in the beginning, you realize that the northern kingdom already is replacing the temple to golden calves. And two places of worship were created as a central place in the northern kingdom so that they don't have to go to the temple anymore. They could worship the golden calves. So now we're going to transition. We already talked about Solomon's reign and the temple being built, Solomon's downfall and the kingdom divided. Now we're going to talk about 1 Kings chapter 17 to 2 Kings chapter 8, the kings versus the prophets. Now there's going to be a picture behind me uh, right there. Uh, Hopefully everybody can see it. There were kings in each kingdom, and literally there's stories for each one. The northern kingdom had 20 kings. How many of them were good? None. Out of 20 kings in the north, well, they started off horribly with two golden calves right from the beginning. So 20 kings, zero of them were um, good. They were all bad. And you should see it there. You see the little sad face right there, a little sad face. You know, they were all bad. And then in the southern kingdom, there's, I put 20 leaders because it's 19 kings and one queen. Okay. So now you have 19 kings and one queen. Eight of them are good. If you could see with your glasses, if you're too far away, it's a happy face next to the good. There's eight that are good. And 12 of them are bad. So right there you see that in the journey of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, as you read through it, you'll come across 20 kings in the north, 19 kings and one queen in the south, and only the southern kingdom had eight, eight, I put five here, eight plus plus eight, eight good ones there. The northern kingdom, of course, is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Now, something that's interesting, of course, we can't go over every king or the one queen and the stories of each one, but there is a pattern to every time someone gets introduced, there's going to be an image behind me and it says this, pretty much this is a pattern, it's repetitious. They introduce a new king, afterwards they give the family background so you can know how it's connected, they let you know if they're good or evil, 
Number four, if they're, uh, and they tell you they're not like David. Everybody's compared to David. No, no, not like King David. And then in the end, they give you the story of how they die. So out of the 20 and 20, pretty much every single one of them follows this pattern. They introduce them. They give the family uh, background. They mention if they're good or evil. And um, that they mention that they're not like David. And they give their story of death. Now, when they mention if they're good and evil, pretty much the questions that like, are being answered is like, are they worshiping God alone? Do they have idols? Are they keeping to the covenant? Are they like, dedicated to the Lord? If they are, they're good. And if they don't devote themselves only to God, and if they have idols, and if they forget the covenant, they're bad. So this is uh, repetitious for 400 years of the book of Kings. Now, something that you might remember from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, a word from the Lord from Nathan the prophet was given to David, and it says this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So right there, it's a prophetic word that your kingdom is going to be established forever. And who is this referring to? Jesus. That eventually, out of your line, there's going to be a king that's coming. That's going to be established forever. The throne is going to endure forever and ever, which is King Jesus. But of course, everyone that knew about this prophetic word at that time, with every king that would be coming through the 20 and 20, you could say, like, like in a sense, whatever, whenever there was ever a king, it's like, is this the one? Is this the king that we've been waiting for? And obviously it wasn't because it was only Jesus. Something that's interesting that right there, this section, I call it, it's pretty much the kings versus the prophets. Because through this book, every time that there's a king, Pretty much, there's a prophet trying to keep them in check. I don't know about you, but everyone in your life, in our lives, we need to have a prophet, you could say. A lot, a lot of times, like, people think prophets are just those that, like, predict something in the future or whatever it is. No, these prophets would keep people in check where they are if they're, if they're not following God, if they're not honoring God, if they're chasing after idols, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're being held accountable. And let me tell you, we need that in our own lives. Every single one of us, every person in this room, you need to have someone and be open. That's the thing. A lot of people are not open to listen to other people. A lot of people harden their hearts they're set in their ways. They, they, they've decided what they're going to do, but they don't want to listen to words of accountability because really out of stubbornness. But there's prophets, and there's two major prophets. There, I mean, there's a lot of prophets that are mentioned in, in the book of Kings, but there's two that are really highlighted. Does anyone know who they are? Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah and Elisha is a mention. Of course, there's other prophets too, but we don't even have time to, um, to really dig deep in this. But there's something that Elisha asked Elijah for. He asked for a double portion, a double portion of pretty much God's presence in his life. And what ends up happening, just a little side bit as you read this, Elijah performed a certain amount of miracles, and Elisha did the double, exactly the double throughout the scriptures. So you could read that for yourself. Something that's interesting is that we're gonna, when we get into the major and minor prophets, most of the major and minor prophets in the Bible are speaking about the chaos that's happening in First and Second Kings. So most of them, and I'm just going to um, pretty much name them, jo- um, Joel, Micah, Isaiah, Daniel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Jonah, and Hosea. All of them were prophets speaking about the chaos that's happening in First and Second Kings. So as we proceed and go through these books of the prophets, remember this, because they'll be speaking about this time period. Now we're going to go to the last major part is the road to exile, chapters 9 through 25. This is the kingdoms, of course, we know are divided. The kingdoms got divided in 930 BC, and the road to exile pretty much started in 208 years later. So picture 930 BC, 208 years later, the exile started happening. In the northern kingdom, Israel, 10 tribes, capital Samaria, got invaded by the Assyrian Empire in 722, 722 BC. So right there was 208 years later, after the division, the northern kingdom gets swept away by the empire of Assyria. Now, this is, I wasn't planning to say this, but this is kind of like an interesting thing that happened. You got to read it. it, For anyone that says the Bible is boring, like you're not reading it really. So all of a sudden what ends up happening, the Assyrian empire take the northern kingdom and Assyria decides to go back and repopulate it with their own people, right? But because they went back to pretty much God's land, and they weren't following God, and they were trying to repopulate it with their own people, God sent lions out to mold them. You got to read it. You got to read it, but it's an interesting thing. So the northern kingdom gets swept away by the Assyrian kingdom. Then pretty much the southern kingdom were able to hold on. The Assyrian kingdom attempted to also take over the southern kingdom. But they were able to hold on with King Hezekiah, and you're able to read more. They're able to hold on. But the southern kingdom, which is Judah with two tribes, the capital Jerusalem, and they got invaded by the Babylonian Empire in 597 B.C. So pretty much they got invaded, and they were exiled as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, I want to remind you of this. It says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God, 
and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All the blessings will come on you and accompany you. If, if, that word, if, if you obey the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, a few verses down, he says this. It says this, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. There's going to be a slide behind me that says this, obeying and disobeying God both have their consequences. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Both have your, like, for example, like, if you break the law driving in the street right now, you'll get a ticket. Like, you don't get, like, $100 for, uh, like, driving correctly by the police department, let's say. It's like, hey, you're doing a good job. Let me give you $100. No, like, but if you do something wrong, you get a ticket. With God, there's consequences both ways. You do good, you're going to be rewarded. You do bad, there's going to be consequences. And here we see the consequences. And even that chapter, a little lower down, verse 36, it says this. It says, it says of verse 36, The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you and to your ancestors. This is in Deuteronomy. It's pretty much just letting you know. It's like, hey, one day this is going to happen if you disobey the Lord will drive you out. So even though the Assyrians came down and the Babylonian Empire came up to get the southern kingdom, God is the one behind it all, orchestrating it. So God was behind. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You'll become a a thing of horror, a byword, an object of ridicule among all the people where the Lord will drive you. So right here, everybody knew there was consequences. And literally, literally, they decided, they decided to follow their divided heart and chase after things. All the kings, they, they would create places of worship throughout the kingdoms, pretty much idol worship. They got so pretty much far off, they were even doing child sacrifices, the king of Israel, the kings of Israel. They were so away from God that they were doing the behavior that the world was doing. Literally here with so many kings, we don't have time to highlight all of them. There's one that I'm going to highlight in a second, but I want Mason Velez to come forward real quick. Why don't we... Give Mason and an, uh, thank God for him an applause as he comes forward. Mason, come up here. You could come up the stairs. You can put the sweater down. You're good. You're good. <laughs> come up. Be careful here. Oh, man. We're going to make you king for today. Right there. Look at it. Why don't we thank God for Mason? Come up here a little bit. So, Mason. I wanted to ask you, if you're king, okay, well, first tell them how old you are. Eight years old, okay? If you're king and you could do anything you want, 
what would you do? Okay, awesome, awesome. Is there anything else you want to add? Hmm? Now, what's your favorite food? Broccoli? I don't know if I want you off my king. No, no, no. I'm joking, I'm joking. I thought y'all thought you were going to say chicken nuggets or pizza or something. He said broccoli. I was going to say, as king, you could order everyone to eat pizza for free every day. Would you make everyone eat broccoli and eat healthy every day? Dessert, all right. Our broccoli, dessert after broccoli. Why don't we hear it from Mason? Mason, you could go this way over here. So I wasn't expecting, I had no idea what he was going to say when he said broccoli too. But he wanted, of course, to help the world and to help the homeless. And it's so powerful. But the reason I wanted to highlight Mason is because in the Bible, God selects an eight-year-old king, Josiah, eight years old, becomes king. The reason for us, it doesn't make sense, but God doesn't look at age, whether how old you are or how young you are. God doesn't look pretty much at your experience, your education, your talents, your gifts, or anything like that. God looks at your heart. And God saw a king named Josiah and made him king. A child named Josiah made him king. And he reigned for 31 years in the kingdom, in the southern kingdom. And I just want to highlight what he ended up doing. He, it says in the Bible, he did what was right in God's eyes. He, when he was 20 years old, he destroyed all the idol worship. Every place that was for worship that wasn't for God, he destroyed it. Think of how God saw him um, doing that. Like he was obeying God, destroying every, 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 every area that had idol worship, eradicating it. He also, when the book of the law was written to him, the book of Deuteronomy was written to him, it was found, it was dusty. When it was read to him, he pretty much repented, repented before God, knowing that the nation was far away from where where they're supposed to be. And not only did he respond to God's word when he saw it, he decided to not only read it himself, but to read it to those around him, sharing God's word. Something else that King Josiah did, he began celebrating the Passover. It's pretty much stopped happening since the days of Samuel. And remember, whenever the Passover would happen or all the holidays, we would say is so that we would remember, remember what God has done. Everybody forgot. And he's like, no, 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 we have to start celebrating the Passover. So he destroyed the altars. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He read the scriptures and read them to others. He also celebrated Passover. But yet everybody else still decided that they wanted to chase after their divided heart. He obeyed God, destroyed idols, repented in humility. He studied God's word. He taught it. He remembered As we close today, I want you to realize, for some of us, I know it was a lot of information, 
There's a lot of chapters to try to break down so you get an idea of the book of Kings. And you might think it's like it's a little disconnected from where you are, but I think it's very connected from where you are and where I am in our lives. God has something for each of us in this journey. The promised land that he wants us to conquer and to live and to be in. Pretty much the way he sees us, the destiny that we have in him. And I'm convinced the destiny is interwoven in the church that God has called you to be a part of. But what ends up happening is that the enemy, just like Assyria and Babylon, the enemy comes and he wants you to have a divided heart. He wants you to have a hardened heart. He wants you to drift away. He wants you to be divided and and to, to pretty much run after so many different things. So what happens, it's not the empire of Assyria or Babylon coming to sweep you away from what God has. The enemy comes with his empire. And some of us, we know what it's, it's how it feels like to be dragged away from where we're supposed to be. We know how it feels like to be in a land of not our own. We know what it feels like when all of a sudden it's like we have a divided heart and we're getting pulled away from where God wants us to be. But we're getting drifted away, pretty much exiled out of where God has for us to where the enemy wants us to be. Some of us, we know that we're being taken away. Some of us, we could feel the chains. We could feel the weight. We could feel the oppression of the enemy destroying our lives, tearing us apart, tearing our families apart, tearing so many things out of our lives and being oppressive, pretty much destroying you from the inside out. The enemy is trying to pull you away. And some of us might not even realize it. Some of us don't even realize that we're being taken out. And what ends up happening is because it boils down to a divided heart. I don't know where your heart is today. But we could easily be worshiping and bowing down to idols as well. The idols look very different today than back then. There's no golden calves, you could say, outside for you to bow down to from the world. But you could bow down to money. You could bow down to your career. You could bow down to fear. You could bow down to doubt. You could bow down to pleasure when you think your pleasure is more important than anything else, and even when you're doing things that are wrong, you justify it and you think it's okay and you say it's okay because your God is pleasure is not God. All of a sudden, we could bow down to comfort, what's comfortable for us, whenever, as long as our life isn't rattled, as long as things don't get hard, it's okay. But the moment... God requires us to carry our own cross. God requires for us to do our part. God requires for us to surrender everything we choose not to because we'd rather have comfort. Sometimes the God is us. Sometimes we want everything to revolve around us and to bow down to us and for everything to be catered to us, everything to be about us. 
when it shouldn't be about us at all. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Some of us, we bow down to excuses. We love excuses, coming up with excuses. Why can't you give your life to the Lord today? Oh, because of this and this. How come you can't serve God? Oh, because of this and this. How come you're not doing that for God? Oh, because of this or this. All of a sudden, we don't realize it, but excuses become a God to us. Complaining becomes a God to us. Being critical becomes a God to us. We chase after so many things except chasing after God. If everyone could bow their heads. I don't know where you are today in your journey with God, but if your heart is divided, if your heart is distracted, if your heart is being pulled away, if you know you're being exiled and the enemy has a grip in your life, pulling your way, and you're not surrendered completely to God. Today's the day to make a decision. If you would have lived in the days of the kings, would you, if they would have been able to say about you that you were a good king or a bad king? Because the good kings were sold out for God. The good kings worshiped God and God alone. The good kings destroyed the idols. The good kings followed God no matter what the price is. But the bad kings had one foot following God and one foot following the world. This morning is a day of surrender. It's a day of dedication. And if you just want to surrender your entire life to God, I just want you to stand where you are at this moment as we close in prayer. Just stand. If you know that you just want to surrender your heart, if you know in any way, shape, or form your heart has been divided, if you know in any way, shape, or form whether you willingly or not um, choosing to, you've been bowing down to idols, I want you just to stand. You only have one life to live, and how are you going to spend it? Because in the world's eyes, you might, it might look like you're doing everything right. But in God's eyes, it's not that way. God looks at the heart, and he wants a heart that's willing to be surrendered, a soft heart, not a hardened heart, a heart of humility, a heart that's, that's willing to just give God everything. Last call, just to stand. Stand and surrender it all. Father God, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for everyone that's here. Father God, we just surrender everything to you, God. And God, forgive us for allowing ourselves to chase after so many things, allowing ourselves to so many times divide our hearts or to be pretty much uh, chasing after and bowing down to idols, God. God, we commit today that you are God and you are God alone. We dedicate our entire heart, mind, and soul to you, God. And we declare that you are the king of our heart and lives. God, we don't want to be in exile. We don't want to be drifted away and taken by the enemy. But we want to follow you and you alone, Lord God, and accomplish what you've called us to accomplish. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. 
You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.